principle of cause and effect is at work everywhere, and somebody has to receive the results of everybody's doings. Every sentence or thought or act has an effect on somebody. If someone has a destructive thought or wish, it has to have an effect on someone. If it doesn't work on someone else, it works back on the person who created it. Every person is plugged into the whole works. Nobody is outside it or affects it any less than anyone else. Every person is a model of life. So the true nature of a person is the nature of life. Even the worst criminal in life imprisonment sitting in his cell, the center of him is the same seed, the seed of the whole creation. If you project a beam of light out into space, billions of miles are far enough, it would come back to the starting point. I didn't learn that in my science class either. But uh, the ancient peoples knew many of those kind of things. And uh, like I say, it is still known. And so everything, even the universe, composed of a circle. And that's why our people chose a circle as the emblem of our religion. This is Rolling Thunder, Part 7, Circle of the Universe, the seventh of an eight-part program on the Shoshone medicine man, healer, and activist. Rolling Thunder found some herbs he wanted in a spot right down by the edge of the river. He didn't speak about them, and I didn't ask. This time he had an offering prepared in a little vinyl bag that he took from his pocket. He performed his ritual. Once again, I did not watch closely. We took only a few plants and cut away only the parts that were needed. They looked small in the bottom of the box. Along the edge of the river, we came to a place where we couldn't pass. The bushes were thick right down to the water. 
We would have to either walk around the long way or else wade in the river. We started back around and then pressed through the bushes. Clouds of mosquitoes began swarming all over me. I nearly panicked. It would be horrible to make a scene here, yet I could hardly run away. I walked along behind, trying to wave away mosquitoes and push aside the bushes at the same time. As we passed a large sage bush, I pulled off a fan-like branch to whisk at the mosquitoes. This might work better than waving my arms. We came to a stream running down from the hills, and Rolling Thunder found another herb he wanted. The little bag of offering was brought out again. The ritual was repeated, and Rolling Thunder and Spotted Eagle began to gather the herb. I just stood and waved at my face and arms with my sage branch. I felt ashamed. Here was a medicine man and his apprentice, solemn and silent, obviously in a peaceful state, doing their work in a ritual manner, while I stood with a piece of the sacred purifying sage that I had taken without the slightest thought or regard, flailing it wildly about in the air. But they did not even glance at me. I looked at Spotted Eagle. He was covered with mosquitoes. They walked up and down his arms and across his face, and some of them were red with blood. He apparently did not notice them. I looked at Rolling Thunder. He had no mosquitoes on him. I stared hard at him. Swarms of mosquitoes hovered about him, darting back and forth, but none touched his skin. Then my attention returned to me, and I realized I was covered with mosquitoes and mosquito bites. I'd stopped fanning with my piece of sage, and now I was ashamed to use it. I wondered whether to hold it or drop it on the ground. Indecisively, I held it quietly at my side while the mosquitoes kept on with their meal. When at last we started back with our herbs, I was too miserable to feel relieved. I had to get rid of that piece of sage, even though I knew I would be wrong to throw it away. I placed it carefully in another sage bush as we reached the road. We put the herbs in the trunk and got in the car. I was itching and miserable and could hardly control my movements. Rolling Thunder drove and Spotted Eagle sat in the passenger seat. I rode in back, sitting sideways to allow room for my long legs. Rolling Thunder announced he was headed into Elko for Spotted Fawn's groceries. After that, there was silence. I closed my eyes and concentrated on not scratching. If I should have to scratch each of my countless bites, I would be in a frenzy. Mosquitoes have always bothered me, but this time was the worst ever. I wondered whether I had spoiled the herb-gathering atmosphere. The mosquitoes had certainly ruined it for me. Whether Rolling Thunder and Spotted Eagle had noticed or not, I felt guilty about the way I'd behaved. Between my gnawing conscience and the irritating itching, I was doubly miserable. On top of this, my nose began bothering me. I was sniffing and my eyes burned and watered. I hadn't had a chance to mention this condition to Rolling Thunder, and it had grown worse every day. I thought it was caused by the dry grass around our camp, but just now it was coming on especially strong. It became impossible not to rub my eyes. Inside, I could feel a trace of good mood, but my body was suffering. It was not a suffering like that of pain. It was an almost intolerable irritation. Then Rolling Thunder said, There's a way to think about these things so they won't be that way. Two things happened simultaneously. I had a feeling of shock. His words seemed sudden and forceful in the silence. 
He had directed them without taking his eyes from the road, and I knew they were for me. Even Spotted Eagle knew, and politely appeared not to have heard. At the same time, I became more vividly aware of that trace of a good mood. It seemed to grow. It had been a beautiful day. I had been gathering herbs with rolling thunder. We would soon be having supper, and perhaps tomorrow we would start for San Francisco. My irritation, I realized, was disappearing fast. Soon the itching had stopped, and my nose was clear. I looked at myself. There was not a sign of the bites. I blinked my eyes, and they felt fine. I was amazed. I couldn't remember ever having gone through such a total transformation. It was as though hours had sped by in a moment. There is a certain attitude you can have about yourself. Still squinting at me, he puffed a while on his pipe. Mosquitoes won't bother you, might not even touch you, if you know how to maintain your good feelings. These attitudes make vibrations, and they have a smell to them. That's what keeps the mosquitoes away. You can make a smell they don't care for. One reason they put that poison in your blood is to make you nervous so the others can smell you. When the chemical works, you feel irritated. But if you don't feel irritated, the chemical isn't working. So if you do get bit, you don't have to let yourself get all swelled up and itchy. He leaned forward and pointed at me with his pipe stem. You can control your whole situation by the smell you make, by the vibrations you make. It's not easy, that kind of control, but it's not impossible because you do it yourself. It's all done from the inside. He smoked his pipe and nodded toward the kitchen. In the meantime, take vinegar. You can start with that. That'll start on that smell, and the mosquitoes won't be so bad. Use it every meal, and in your bath, too. A few tablespoons in the bathtub every time. Once you have an agreement with a wild animal, they'll keep it. They uh, only come to the fence line. They know their boundary. They have a boundary. They mark it. And they won't cross into another person's territory. They won't bother uh, their neighbors if their neighbors are at peace or their livestock. And we, that's the way we live. And uh, we don't kill those coyotes. We don't kill the snakes. We don't kill the birds. They're all here for a purpose. Some of them, now the rats and mice are different. All the nature preys on them. The birds, the snakes, the coyotes, they eat those rats and mice. Why? Because they have no respect. Wherever a man is, they move in. They, get in, they carry filth and disease. They get into your foodstuffs. They kill the little chickens. 
They're very destructive, besides carrying the uh, filthy disease and even the bubonic plague that wiped out lots of people in Europe. It's back in this country now, too. So uh, these rats and mice, they're different. So if we were like they were, if they is it, we're not. And it's, uh, coyotes help keep these rats and mice down. But once when the white hunters were making war on the coyotes, they're doing that again. Trapping them, shooting them from helicopters and everything else. And they drove them back a few miles. Then the rats and mice moved into our camp. Then I had to go out and talk with our brothers, the snakes. They moved into our camp. They cleaned out the rats and the mice. Then they moved back out because uh, some of the women are afraid of the snakes. But uh, once their job was done, their functions fulfilled, they didn't bother anybody or offer to bite anyone. But that's uh, how close we live with the nature. Now, in the spiritual way of life, an Indian is taught, we're taught very early, that all things have a right to be here, even the ants. One Indian family, uh, another place up there, they had an anthill on the land. They dug up the anthill and they moved it to a different place. So I want to tell you that there is a different way of living, more in accord with the Great Spirit's way, and it's a way of thinking, a way of being. It becomes part of you. And uh, when you go in, when uh, someone else is home, you can tell how those people are living. That's the way I do. If I go into anyone else's territory or their house, I can tell in a minute what's going on there. You can tell by the animals, by the cats and the dogs, and you certainly can tell by the babies and the little children exactly what those people are doing and how they're living so that uh, uh, you know what's going on. And I go into an area of the country and it, I watch the trees when I'm going in there and I can tell how healthy that land is. And if the land is dying yet, which it is in many places, well, if the tree dies, when it dies and it falls over to the ground, and we know that land is on its way, like up in Marion County, a beautiful place, where I seen them a few years back scrape off the top of an Indian burial mound with bulldozers. And uh, nobody made an effort to stop it. And today, Marion County is on its way. And how I know, when I pick, her, I used to pick lots of herbs in that area, lots of medicine plants. In certain areas, they have no strength to them no more. Some places, they still do. I always pick those places where there's still life. And there's some places, if you look, if you ever happen to go there, that the trees almost touch the ground. And not quite yet, but it's on its way. And that's the way we judge the time. Ya na hai yo, 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 ya na
The principle of cause and effect is at work everywhere, and somebody has to receive the results of everybody's doings. Every sentence or thought or act has an effect on somebody. If someone has a destructive thought or wish, it has to have an effect on someone. If it doesn't work on someone else, it works back on the person who created it. Of course, in the end, everyone gets his own earnings and accounts for his own debts. But just like money, it can go around and around and involve many people, and it can get very complicated. The purpose of good medicine is to make it simple. There's no need to create any opposing destructive force. That only makes more negative energy and more results and more problems. If you have a sense of opposition, that is, if you feel contempt for others, you're in a perfect position to receive their contempt. The idea is to not be a receiver. You people have such anger and fear and contempt for your so-called criminals that your crime rate goes up and up. Your society has a high crime rate because it is in a perfect position to receive crime. You should be working with these people, not in opposition to them. The idea is to have contempt for crime, not for people. It's a mistake to think of any group or person as an opponent, because when you do, that's what the group or person will become. It's more useful to think of every other person as another you, to think of every individual as a representative of the universe. Every person is plugged into the whole works. Nobody is outside it or affects it any less than anyone else. Every person is a model of life, so the true nature of a person is the nature of life. I don't care how low you fall or how high you climb, academically or economically or anything else, you still represent the whole thing, 
even the worst criminal in life imprisonment sitting in his cell, the center of him is the same seed, the seed of the whole creation. You um, spoke about bringing up the children with respect, and also last night you spoke about the importance of the women in the Indian traditional life. Absolutely. Could you speak something about that family life? Well, the women are the most important. I know they might think sometimes uh, that's more propaganda, too, that the chief is a, something like a dictator. Or, well, don't you believe it? In the same way the medicine man, that he's got an awful lot of power. Well, we know what happens whenever that power is misused or some guy gets too much ego. And it ain't like your politician, that they can go on and on and abuse that power and get away with it, because they can't. I was in a meeting with some Iroquois not too many years ago in a longhouse meeting, and when one young man, he was a chief and a medicine man, and he got up to speak, and it was a clan mother. She's the one, the women's had their own lodge, and they have a clan mother. And behind the scenes, they have a lot of power. They have the power. And it was a clan mother in this meeting that got up and sat that man down. And uh, he didn't answer back. There's nothing he could say. And he can never be a chief or a medicine man again. He's all done. He can come home one time a year at a ceremony for the dead, but he can't stay overnight. That's how strict we are. That's how the rights of the woman are respected. Now, they have a certain wisdom, the women do, which we men don't have. And they're not as likely to want to send their sons to some senseless war. And they don't either, they're not as aggressive as the men are. And I would say if their uh, wisdom was respected and you had that knowledge or some system like that in Washington, that there wouldn't have been any water gates or they would know how to take care of those boys, uh, naughty boys, that's what they are. Uh, they might be rich, they might be powerful, or senators, congressmen, they're still nothing but naughty boys. But it would be these women that would know how to handle these boys. It would be these women who would bring the men into life when they get out of life and get too stealing, too greedy, or too warlike. It would be the women that would straighten them out.
John Welch redirected the conversation. Did I ever tell you about my first meeting with Rolling Thunder? I'd heard that John Welch knew Rolling Thunder before he moved to California and joined the committee, and that they had traveled together on several occasions. In Nevada, shortly after Rolling Thunder had brought the rainstorm at the abandoned ranch, John Welch had told me about a time when Rolling Thunder had caused rain to stop. On a day when it had been raining for hours, Rolling Thunder took him up a high hill, saying that when they reached the top, the rain would stop for as long as they were up there. And that, John said, was just how it happened. Our first meeting was accidental, before I became involved with Indian people or Indian affairs. I was going through Oklahoma on my way back to Kansas City, and I knew that a friend from Ireland was there attending an Indian meeting, so I decided to look him up. The meeting was crowded and the faces unfamiliar, but I ran into a young Indian guy I knew. We looked around, and he pointed to an Indian across the hall, saying that this man was rolling thunder and that I should go over and ask where my Irish friend might be. I went up to this man and asked him if he was rolling thunder. He only looked at me. I told him who I was looking for and waited for him to say something. Finally, he said some funny-sounding gibberish that I could hardly understand. I thought he didn't speak English or hadn't understood a word. My Indian friend came over, and we stood there for a minute. When he realized what was going on, he told Rolling Thunder that I was a friend. Rolling Thunder apologized in perfect English and said he was just being careful. When I told him I was on my way to Kansas City, he told me he was going to Leavenworth to see about a Shoshone youth imprisoned for refusing to be a soldier for the U.S. government. He asked me if I would take him there. Rolling Thunder had talked about this incident at Council Grove. He said he'd gone to a meeting of chiefs and medicine men in Oklahoma. Before he left, his people had asked him to bring back a young Shoshone who had been sentenced to five years in Leavenworth Prison for refusing to go to Vietnam. The Shoshone treaties guarantee that the Indians will not be drafted. Rolling Thunder was determined to bring the boy home where he belonged. So I was down there in Oklahoma, Rolling Thunder had said, and I got transportation from a white man, a teacher over at the University of Missouri, and I made my medicine on the banks of the Missouri River. It was a clear day, and the clouds rolled up black. They started coming in fast. The thunder clapped and the lightning flashed, and I knew then that it was going to be all right. We walked to the gates of that penitentiary, and the Army officers were all out in front. They were watching a black funnel that looked like it might have been two or three miles off coming toward them. Anyway, I won't go through all the details, but that man is home today in Nevada, and he has no discharge papers. He doesn't know whether he should be in prison or in the Army or what. They just turned him loose. In all our conversations at the camp in Carlin, John Welch had not mentioned the event, so I had had no idea that he had been the white man with Rolling Thunder that day. The story had impressed me, and I had not forgotten it. Now I was hearing it again from Welch. I took Rolling Thunder in my car, and we got up to Leavenworth in the late afternoon. Rolling Thunder walked right up to that gate and said that he'd come to get this man and take him back to Shoshone country. They wouldn't let us in. In fact, they wanted us to go away, but Rolling Thunder was persistent. Finally, some prison officer came out and talked to us. He told us it would be impossible to visit our friend. Rolling Thunder said he'd come to get someone, not visit. They took us inside a room, and we waited. 
Finally, another officer came in and told us that the man he had come to see had been transferred. Rolling Thunder and I left, but we weren't ready to give up, so we stayed at a nearby motel. In the middle of the night, Rolling Thunder began talking loudly. It woke me up. When he saw that I was awake, he looked at me and said angrily that he'd been lied to, and now he was prepared to do things his way. He said that if they could use lies to accomplish what they knew was wrong, he could use fear to accomplish what he knew was right. When I asked him what he meant, he told me that he had just been inside the prison, and so he knew the boy was there. Then he told me to go back to sleep quickly because we would be up before sunrise, and then I would see his plan. It seemed a few minutes later that Rolling Thunder was moving about in the room and telling me to get up so we could be down at the river before the sun appeared. We went down to the bank of the Missouri River, where Rolling Thunder built a fire and started putting a lot of strange things in it. He lit his pipe and smoked it for a while, and then he began weird chanting. He handed me the pipe and told me to smoke. I had no trouble doing that, even though the smoke was very strong, but when he asked me to chant, I thought that would be impossible. He insisted I follow him, and somehow at that time I was able to do it. We chanted and smoked for a long time while Rolling Thunder kept putting things into the fire. I didn't know how or when he'd gotten those things. After a while, the small fire started producing an intense black smoke, which rose straight above the fire and hung high in the air. It grew blacker and blacker above our heads. Then there was thunder, loud and frightening. It seemed to start very far away and come right up against our heads, I could actually feel it. Then black clouds were moving all across the sky and they collected right above us. It got so dark that the flashes of lightning were brilliantly white. The lightning was all around us and it made sharp crackling sounds. Right in the middle of all these goings on, Rolling Thunder put out the fire and told me to walk with him. We got up over the bank and started walking. I kept turning around and looking back. The sky was clear all around us except for one big black cloud which came down to a point right above where we had been. It looked just like a funnel. When we reached the prison gates, Rolling Thunder shouted at the guards in a really powerful voice. One of them rushed inside and returned with some officers. They kept telling us to go away, and Rolling Thunder kept saying he wanted the Indian youth. He told them he had seen him in there, so he knew right where he was. They all looked surprised, but they still tried to force us to leave. Rolling Thunder pointed back to where he'd come from, and you could see that black funnel in the sky. He told them to watch it, and they did, because it was coming right for us. This was his tornado, he told them, and it was about to rip the whole prison wide open. The funnel moved slowly, but it kept getting closer and closer. Everyone just watched until it was nearly on us, and then some of the people went rushing inside. Sand and rocks started flying through the air, but none of them hit us. Nothing hit me anyway. I could hardly stand up, and I had difficulty seeing. Rolling Thunder appeared calm and steady, and he had his eyes on the prison gate. Pretty soon the gate came flying off. You could hear it rip loose. It went flying through the air, spinning around and around. The prison officials brought out the young man. There was no formality, nothing. They just let him go. He went back west to Shoshone country, as far as I know, he's back home still.
Not too many years back, the Indians had a great medicine meeting of all tribes. You never read about it. No letters were sent. No message was sent. Yet it was a huge gathering of Indian chiefs and medicine people from Canada and United States, Mexico, all over. Not far from here, a place called La Jolla. And that place was picked because they went there. They examined the land. They examined the trees. They looked at the birds and the animals and the people of the area. So they picked La Jolla, not far from here, for that medicine meeting. Now that was, oh, about five or six years ago. I'm not good at keeping tracks of dates and time because it means very little in our way of life. So, uh, by the way, American immigrations weren't let, gonna let the Mexican Indians cross the border. And the Mexican immigration weren't either gonna let the, the Mexican Indians and the ones come up from Guatemala across the border. And we had to send people over to guide them across, and they got across all right, about 25 of them. So we know the trails. We still know the trails. We still know the land. And uh, the meeting went off fine with uh, no troubles at all. But there was uh, many things happened. I guess you might call them strange things. That uh, There were some of the redneck elements or uh, what would you might call uh, 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 straight, or uh, sometimes I refer to them as Nazi elements, that uh, we're gonna, we got word they were going to hassle us and that the law might be on their side. So we went out one night to see if a guard would be necessary, if we had to put up guards. But there were already guards there, all around, and you could see them in the moonlight. All around, there was already a heavy guard. Now I'll let you figure that out. So those going on, they're still here. And there, we have protections, we have guidance when we accept it and look to it. In fact, all people have when they seek the right trail and the right guidance. And so these things are common in the Indian world. They're still here, and we've kept it that way. But in a few years back, too, I traveled across the great waters about 50 of us from different tribes, the World Ecology Conference over in uh, Sweden. And over there, we were set down in the mud. It had been raining for three weeks. It quit raining the day we got there, but the wood was wet and everything. And no provisions had been made to feed us. I guess they wanted to get us over there for the show. Anyway, we sent out a message to the north we knew there were some tribal peoples up there. Next morning, the Laplanders came in, about the same kind of costumes that we have, same kind of drum, and, all, and uh, about the same kind of songs. And so they came in. They brought huge chunks of reindeer meat with them. 
and it's real good. It's tender, no fat, and we didn't go hungry. And then the Swedes heard we were there, very hospitable people, and they started bringing us in things to eat too. And so we had a lot of experiences over there, all good. We found a lot of the different nationalities of people there from all over the world, not speaking to each other. And so, like, uh, for instance, that uh, some of the some of the uh, Hollanders and some of the French people weren't speaking with the Germans, and, and uh, yet we found many good young Germans. And uh, then too, a lot of the Swedes that didn't want to talk with the Americans, they said there's all CIA agents. We tried to explain to them, not all, not all of them for sure. They might have one or two in each count, but uh, we just ignore that. And uh, anyway, uh, here we were defending Americans. <laughs> so uh, anyway, something had to be done because this wasn't a good situation. All these people come there for the same purpose, uh, to uh, what to do about the ecology, worldwide, and uh, once that's accomplished, we know that uh, people themselves would uh, learn how to live together too. So uh, the Laplanders helped us. We had huge sunrise ceremonies, and all these people joining in. And that night, the Laplanders helped us, and we had huge dances. We dance in a circle. Join hands, we dance in a circle. The circle is the emblem of our religion, just like it was with the Druids, and just like it was with the Vikings and all the other ancient peoples all around the world. We chose the circle simply because that circle goes all the way around the world. And the atoms in your body compose the circles. If you project a beam of light out into space, billions of miles are far enough, it would come back to the starting point. I didn't learn that in my science class either. But uh, the ancient peoples knew many of those kind of things. And uh, like I say, it is still known. And so everything, even the universe, composed of a circle. And that's why our people chose a circle as the emblem of our religion. Ah, 
Rolling Thunder began again, a beautiful little place up north of San Francisco. I've often dreamed about that place. On this last trip, I found it. Of course, I didn't know the name of the place until I got there, didn't even have any idea where it was. He interrupted himself suddenly and walked out of the room. Three cats jumped up into his chair and made themselves comfortable. When he came back, the cats scampered away. This is the place, he said, handing me some picture postcards. This is Bolinas, pretty as a picture, exactly as I'd dreamed it. I knew the place at first sight, knew it was the place I'd been waiting to get to. Funny thing, too, the people I met there had been waiting for me. We looked at the postcards while Rolling Thunder told us about what had happened at Bolinas. When he finished with The Black Magician, Rolling Thunder figured his work with the Grateful Dead was done, and he decided to leave. As he started out, he was struck with the idea that a certain place he had often dreamed about was not far away. I knew the only way to find that place was to go there, and I knew that in order to get there I'd have to find the place. So I sort of followed my antenna and drove along winding roads through the Marin Hills. I might not have gone the most direct route, but I got there. The small town of Bolinas is on a tiny finger of land that juts out into the Pacific, and points south down the coast toward San Francisco. From the roads that run through the wooded hills, you can look out over the blue water and see the Audubon Canyon Ranch across the Bolinas Lagoon. Multitudes of birds come here to rest and feed, and American egrets and great blue herons make their homes. By night from these hills, you can see the distant glow of the city lights. Children with long hair run barefooted in the streets between the beach and the hills, spontaneous and carefree as the many dogs at their heels. Rolling Thunder recognized this place. He knew that in the old days medicine men had come here to find herbal medicines with special powers that grew nowhere else. This was one of the energy centers of the body of the earth. I asked the first person I saw what the name of this place was, and he told me I was in Bolinas. Well, I walked around and talked to a few people, and then I met some doctors who operate a little medical clinic there. It's no ordinary clinic, and they are no ordinary doctors. Well, they're regular MDs with all the establishment credentials, but they know a lot more. It was because of this, Rolling Thunder explained, that these doctors were able to recognize a case of possession when they saw one. A young lady they had treated had been behaving in a very unpredictable and puzzling manner for some time and finally succeeded in hanging herself. 
one of the doctors found her and tried in vain to revive her with mouth-to-mouth resuscitation. When the doctor, who had attempted the resuscitation, assumed her strange expression and began at once to display the same puzzling behavior, the doctors were willing to hypothesize that the young lady had been possessed and that the doctor had acquired her entity. This was another case of my being where I was needed, Rolling Thunder said. They were doing what I guess you people would call praying for help when I showed up. I watched them at work in the clinic for quite a while, and I was pretty impressed with what they were doing and the way they were doing it. So I told them who I was, and they knew I was the one they were waiting for. They told me the story about the man who was possessed and hung himself, and they told me how the man who had tried to revive her had changed completely, his face, his speech, everything. His wife was sure there was another being in her husband's body. This had gone on for a couple of weeks. The doctor's wife and children were frightened, the whole town was alarmed, and the other doctors were uncertain what to do, especially if their theory was correct. They asked me if I would do something for this sick doctor, and I said, well, there might be something I can do all right, but if I'm to doctor one of your doctors, you might just want to make me an official member of your staff or an advisor or something. Well, they thought that might be a good idea, so I'm on their staff now. There was an American Indian ceremony for exorcism of the spirit. Rolling Thunder did not describe the details of the ritual, except that it included a fire on the beach. That was a tough job, and it took a long time. The spirit was a very strong spirit with a powerful and dominating will. The doctor's own spirit was there all the time, but the other one completely dominated. I could see both of those beings. They were both there. There are many cases of two spirits occupying the same body, and often one will dominate, and then the other, because they're struggling for control. Well, this other spirit didn't want to give up. It had to be forced hard, and when it left the man, you could almost hear it. He let out a scream and fell over, and then he went into a state of shock. After that, the doctor was his old self. I tried to visualize the ceremony, and I wondered exactly what Rolling Thunder had done. I wondered what force was used and how it was made to work. Even though I usually wanted to hear something more than what was said, I never asked him questions about the procedures of the rituals or the secrets behind them. Often, when I made up my notes, I heard questions in my head coming as though I imagined others asked them. What is it that Rolling Thunder really does? What makes this medicine work? Is it really some force or power, or is it perhaps only placebo effect or even hypnosis? Rolling Thunder never explained completely, and he never tried to inject into my mind an understanding of him or of his knowledge. If he did lead me to understanding, he did it by providing the elements the patterns and the inducement for me to arrive at my own explanations. Rolling Thunder had told me early on that no one can explain truth as one would explain the workings of a machine. I was beginning to feel that I was approaching some explanations of my own, but now more than ever I felt the need for something more from Rolling Thunder. He watched in the silence that followed his story and presently spoke again as if in answer to my questions. The human body is divided into two halves, plus and minus. Every whole thing is made of two opposite halves. Every energy body consists of two poles, positive and negative. We can control this energy just like we learn to control our physical bodies. And by controlling this energy, we produce forces. We can learn to control these forces. 
as I chased out that spirit by directing my energy in the right way, in the right place, and at the right time. In that case, I did it right through the palms of my hands. These two hands are connected to the poles, one side plus and one side minus. All the things that are true about electricity are at work everywhere. Even electricity is a kind of spiritual force. So in a way we could say we are working with a kind of electricity energy. You've seen me spit on the palms of my hands and hold them up and slap them together. At least that's what it looks like to you, right? That has its own use and its own meaning, but you might say it's a kind of helper. He paused and looked at his open hands. His face was intent, but also relaxed, almost benign. At that moment, I could lay one hand on a man and give him a dangerous jolt, and I don't mean just on the bottom level, so it's possible to do great harm. That young magician at the ranch, that former magician, I should say, he knew some medicine, but he used it in the wrong way. The same principles are always at work, the same techniques, and they can be used for good purposes or for bad. So there's good medicine and there's bad medicine. This idea I've found in some modern people that there's no good or bad, that it's all the same, is pure nonsense. I know what they're trying to say, but they don't understand it. Where we're at here in this life, with all our problems, there's good and there's bad. And they'd better know it. As long as so many people accept this modern-day competition, willing to profit at the cost of others and believing it's a good thing, as long as we continue this habit of exploitation, using other people and other life, using nature in selfish, unnatural ways, as long as we have hunters in these hills drinking whiskey and killing other life for entertainment, spiritual techniques and powers are potentially dangerous. The medicine men and traditional Indians, who know many things, know also that many things are not to be revealed at this time. The establishment people think they have a pretty advanced civilization here. Well, technically, maybe they've done a lot, although we know of civilizations that have gone much further in the same direction. In most respects, this is a pretty backward civilization. The establishment people seem completely incapable of learning some of the basic truths. The most basic principle of all is that of not harming others. And that includes all people and all life and all things. It means not controlling or manipulating others, not trying to manage their affairs. It means not going off to some other land and killing people over there, not for religion or politics or military exercises or any other excuse. No being has the right to harm or control any other being. No individual or government has the right to force others to join or participate in any group or system, or to force others to go to school, to church, or to war. Every being has the right to live his own life in his own way. Every being has an identity and a purpose. To live up to his purpose, every being has the power of self-control, and that's where spiritual power begins. When some of these fundamental things are learned, the time will be right for more to be revealed, and spiritual power will come again to this land.
have heard Rolling Thunder, Part 7, Circle of the Universe, the seventh of an eight-part program on the Shoshone medicine man, healer, and activist. Selections from the book Rolling Thunder by Doug Boyd were read by Mitchell Harding. Music by the Cheyenne Dave Group with T. Nightwalker, D. Osage, and the White Skunk Sisters, Donald Deernose, Wilbur Jack, Joe Lee of Luka Chuchai with group, and Chief Spotted Back Hamilton and the Omaha Group Singers. Technical and production assistance by Margaret Fowler, Amanda Folger, and Mitchell Harding. This program was produced by Roy E. Tuckman for KPFK, Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles. Hey, 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 hey.